Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 88. Ha! What did I tell you? 88 miles per hour! Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he wants to hear a voicemail from one of the kids out there, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to Session 88 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. 88 is, of course, a very, very significant number for me because 88 miles per hour is what it took to get the DeLorean to go back into time in my favorite movie, Back to the Future. That's where that sort of screaming quote from Doc Emmett Brown in the beginning came from. That was actually me just pointing my face away from the mic and um, I think it sounded kind of like it. But anyway, um, I watched that movie when I was a kid. I fell in love with it. And speaking of kids... I know a lot of you who are listening to the show actually are kids, like li- literally like 8 to 12 to I mean, 16 years old. Um, I've met some of you. You guys are incredibly inspiring. I only wish I had your entrepreneurial spirit when I was your age. And so parents out there, if you're listening to this with your kid in the car or, or, or in the house or whatever, I mean, th- that's exactly why I keep this show clean. But if you feel that your, your child has some sort of entrepreneurial spirit, they have questions, I would love to hear from them. If they go to speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn, you can have them use your mic on your computer or whatever. Um, have them ask me a question, whatever they have questions about, about entrepreneurship, business, maybe it's help with math homework or you know whatever. I just wanna hear from them. I would love to produce an episode that is all about answering kids' questions about entrepreneurship um, because I know this is incredibly important stuff, stuff that I wish I knew when I was your age. Um, I've met some of you at meetups. I mean, you guys are some of you were writing books at like age of 10 and, and, and already doing research for some businesses. Like that is awesome. And if for those of you listening out there who aren't kids, if that doesn't inspire you, like to hear kids like getting into this world of entrepreneurship and business, I mean, that is awesome. I don't know what else can inspire you. And of course, I have two kids of my own and they're, they're pretty young, um, but I can already see my son sort of thinking differently and I don't know if it's because his daddy is, is an entrepreneur or, or whatever maybe it's in his genes but you know it's just so cool so I'd love to help the kids out again speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn love to hear from you now let's get on to today's episode today's an awesome episode because I have a guest who I've known for a very long time I've met him in person several times at conferences I've been on his show a few times he's just an incredible speaker an incredible 
uh, interviewer and, and somebody I, I actually really looked looked up to uh, quite a bit, and I still do because he's just been doing so much, and he's gone through this incredible transformation over time. And, and, and to see where he is now and what he's doing and, and what he's gone through to get here is just amazing. So I'm really, really happy to welcome my good friend Srini Rao, Servitus Rao, from Blogcast FM. You probably... A lot of you probably listen to his show. He's done hundreds of interviews, like I think over 400. And it started out as sort of an interview show, interviewing other bloggers and their success stories. And, you know, we're going to talk about sort of the, the, the transformation that he's made. And it's just his show has become so much more than that, so much more inspiring. And he's doing these things like events and writing books. And just we talk about that. And we talk about a lot of the numbers and, and success he's had recently and what it took to get there. So let's just get right into the interview. I'm so happy to welcome Srini to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Srini, dude, what's up? Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks, Pat. It's, uh, it's good to be here. It's, it's funny because usually you're the one on the other side of the mic with me. And uh, so <laughs> first time we're doing this. So it's cool. I'm, uh, thank you so much for having me. No, you know, I'm really excited about that because Srini, you know, I've been following Blogcast FM for a really long time. I've seen its growth. I've seen w- where it's been and sort of where it is now. Uh, it's, it has changed so much. And it's, it's, it's not really... You know, a podcast or, or an audio show about blogging anymore. It's grown to so much more now. How do you feel about where it's taken or like the journey you've been on? Um, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because it, it's true. It's, it's really not a podcast about blogging anymore. It's actually about much more. I mean, if you look at the last maybe six to seven weeks of guests, it's funny. I, I can't remember the last time on the show where we were talking about blogging advice. I mean, this is it's a storytelling show where we find uh, ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. And, and, you know, of course, they share tips and tactical stuff from their life. But, you know, we talking about how to grow a blog is, is kind of a lost. <laughs> that's just not what we do anymore on the show. I mean, I've had a happiness researcher who talked to me about scientifically proven advice to become happier. Um, I've had a peak performance psychologist who was a Juilliard trained violinist. But I think that, you know, what I would say is that what is happening is the show is turning into a storytelling show that takes a holistic approach uh, about how to run a business because, you know, your happiness is important to being able to run a business. Your health is important. And so, Really, I am constantly on the lookout for ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And, you know, it's funny. Somebody emailed me uh, or tweeted me the other day say, hey, I, I have a book um, called 65 Blogging Tips uh, that, you know, I'd love to be interviewed about. And it was so weird to think I'm going to have to reply from the Blogcast FM account saying uh, we're not really looking for <laughs> nice. blogs to interview, you know, because, um, you know, I'm interested in stories. I'm interested in people who are doing real things like, you know, not just um, like, like to me, I'm like everything that drives my guest selection is curiosity mm-hmm. who 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 are the you know it, it for those of you who haven't listened to to Srini before i highly recommend you t- you check out blogcast fm um if if you were to recommend one or two uh episodes to people what which yeah. ones would they be um, so, you know, recently we ran an interview with a woman named Meg Warden. I mean, this is con- convenient. Like we've ran all our nine, nine of our best interviews, um, our most recent ones because of our upcoming event. But Meg Warden, uh, you know, it's funny. Somebody asked me, he said, you know, what's your favorite interview? I said, you know, I used to think that I couldn't find one out of the 400 and it was an unfair question, but 
Uh, Meg had such an amazing story because she spent two years in federal prison. And I mean, you talk about somebody who is a model of reinvention, radical transformation and possibility. It it kind of makes you look at the things in your life and say, well, what the heck am I complaining about? I've got, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I've got a world of potential. And so what we're constantly doing is finding people like this, you know, people who are really outliers, people who, despite any sort of circumstances, in some cases, because of their circumstances, end up going on to do these really amazing things. Awesome. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Uh, I, I am really excited to check that one out. Actually, I haven't checked it out yet. Now, you'd mentioned a lot of things about storytelling and, and bringing stories mm-hmm. onto the show. I just want to emphasize, I mean, you and I both have done plenty of, of, of interviews together. I mean, you've done you know four times as many as, as me, so you're even more of an expert in this. But how important, I mean, just, I mean, let's talk about interviews really quick. I think you and mm-hmm. I would both encourage as many people as possible to get behind the microphone and start interviewing people for several different reasons, not just to bring in interesting stories on your show, but there are so many other benefits that can come from doing these interviews. What are some of the amazing things that have happened in your life or for your business as a result of doing these interviews with people? Well, you know, that would take a whole hour to, to we could we could spend the whole hour talking about that. But I mean, I've got an opportunity to speak at conferences. I've gotten opportunities to collaborate with people um, on various projects. Uh, I think probably the greatest gift, of course, is just the connections that form and, and the knowledge that you learn. But, you know, I want to comment on, on one thing. You know, it, there's sort of this podcasting renaissance going on. And mm-hmm. part of, I think, what makes what we do so different is that you'll find people on Blogcast FM that you'll never find at other shows because I go out of my way to look for people who don't appear um, on other shows. And that, that's not at always easy. Um, because I, I really, I don't want to tell the same story that's been told over and over again. You know I mean? Yeah, it's awesome that you get Tim Ferriss on your podcast, but truth be told, Meg Gordon, a much better interview. Um, yeah. because she's got a, a perspective that hasn't just been spread a hundred times. And don't get me wrong. I appreciate that somebody like Tim comes and shares his message, but there's a big difference between somebody like Tim, who's on a media tour promoting a book, um, you know, do, doing interviews and somebody who comes to share their just raw, honest, sort of unmistakable truth. And amazingly enough, uh, I think that that's one of the temptations I've seen far too often with especially newbie podcasters who are starting these interview-based shows is they think, oh, I just have to get a big name. I have to get somebody like Pat or I have to get somebody like Srini. Uh, whereas you know, to me, I mean, I'll tell you the real gems are the people that you might not think would be. But uh, you know, to me, everything says you know, if you find somebody whose story sounds fascinating to you, who cares how big they are? Um, you know, I'll give you another example. Greg Hartle is my Blogcast FM backstage co-host, and now he owns a, uh, you know a small equity stake in my company, and he's been transformative. But you know, when I found Greg Hartle, his project Ten Dollars in a Laptop was six weeks old. Um, he didn't have like a massive following. So I think it, it's it, you know the thing that we have to avoid when it comes to this is sort of you know for lack of something less crude, this whole you know hero worshiping. Uh, mindset. Right. Amazingly enough, I found a less profane way to say that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think that we have to stop one putting these people on pedestals and realize that they are human just like us. And then, of course, realize that just because somebody is new to the web or, or new to the online world, it doesn't mean that they might not have just pure gold to offer you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of my most popular shows, or I, I know some of my most popular shows are ones that were done with people who nobody's ever heard of before. Yes, I've had Tim Ferriss on in episode 51. Gary Vaynerchuk's going to be in the next episode for those of you listening. And that's cool. Um, you know, that that obviously there's there's just the name recognition alone will help the show. But 
some of the most popular episodes were the ones with the golden information from people nobody knew about, like Mike Doonan, who started an iPhone app company to help people or help children with the speech therapy, or Lane Amon, who's making six figures uh, doing scrapbooking. I mean, that's stuff mm-hmm. that people can relate to and they can get on that same level as them exactly. because they're not on the pedestal. But th- exactly. I think that yeah. that's a big thing is, is relatability, right? Like you have one of the things, you know, we try to show models of possibility on our show. We want people not to look at them and say, wow, that's amazing. I'm inspired. I could never be that but just look at that and say you know what i have that inside of me too right i love that models of possibility i'm writing this down right now now you know talking a little bit more about i mean we have a lot to cover and, and there's a lot of things i want to share you're doing some amazing things with with this event that's coming up that i want to talk about you've you've written a lot of successful books recently and and you even got on the glenn beck show and that that's a <laughs> crazy story I want, I want to make sure you tell um but let's talk about interviews really quick because this is something a lot of people are doing and a lot of people are starting to understand the benefit of doing interviews and reaching out you know it builds relationships with these people like you said it gives you all these new opportunities you get to just make awesome connections um so what are some tactical, strategical things that you've learned over the course of your 400 interviews that mm-hmm. you feel you can share with people who are just getting into the sort of interview process? How do you get and extract the best information from people? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question and, and uh, hopefully one that I feel I can do justice to. Um, you know, obviously, everything I said before this is actually a foundational piece, so <clears throat> keep that in mind. But to me, I mean, one of the big things is that you don't treat it like a, an interview, but a conversation. Because uh, the, the problem, like I don't like scripted. Like I can tell when somebody has planned out just a series of questions, and it's mm-hmm. the most uncomfortable, awkward feeling uh, in you, my mind. You, you don't go to a conversation. Like if we, if you and I were to talk at like coffee shop, we wouldn't be like precisely. Question number one, Srini, is this and this. Oh, next question. This is and without any like follow up or anything. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's you know like the cool thing with the approach that I take is it's like you get to sit there and eavesdrop on a conversation I'm having with somebody in a coffee shop, and it's it's just like me talking to a friend of mine. So that's one thing is, is the conversational approach. Now this is debatable, and I you know some people will say I can never imagine doing that, but I think it's a pretty known fact by now that I don't script anything, and the reason I don't do that, and you know this, Pat, is that it allows you to listen uh, much more effectively, and I mean. I think one of the common comments you'll hear is, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before uh, right. you know, when, when you've been on Blogcast FM. And even you can attest to this. I remember you saying, yeah, you don't, you don't let somebody off the hook with a shallow answer. Like I drill them until I feel there's nothing left there. Uh, you know, and the analogy I'll liken it to, here's, here's a simple structure actually that I think will, will be useful. Is You ask a question, you listen to an answer, and then you ask a question about the answer that was just given. So that way you have this repeatable structure and framework that you can keep doing. And you just can't use that until you get to the end of the conversation. Now, you know, this takes some skill. I've done it for a very, very long time. So I've got it you know, down and I still work at it every day. Here's another thing. This sounds crazy to some people, but I go back and I listen to every interview two or three times. Like I listen to it once. Why I do my own editing is so I can figure out what I would do differently and how I would change it. Then I, you know, go. So like each interview, I'll listen to it once, obviously, while I'm doing the interview, another time when I'm editing. And then another time I'll actually play it a few times when I'm going for a walk. And what I look for when I'm doing that is I try to find places where I felt there was more and I didn't actually dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Like what did I leave – like what stones did I leave unturned that would have been juicy? Then the third thing I would say – this is something that I feel way too many people miss – is that at the end of the day, the interview is not about the guest and it's not about you. It's about your listener. That's the most important person. The, the funny thing, the person that you actually don't have any interaction with in this process <laughs> is the one that matters the most. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I want to touch on something you just mentioned, which is listening. Because I remember I struggled so much, and I know some people do this because I've been on interviews, and I can just tell um, it's it's hard to listen. It, 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 this, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but when some, when someone's giving you an answer after you ask them a question, sometimes it's hard to to listen. And 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 I know when I was doing this for the first time, I was uh, really what I was doing when people were answering was I was coming up with my next question, or I was trying to figure out you know um, you know where to go from there. And and so I wouldn't be able to follow up with these with these great questions. And I think what what you had mentioned, you know, just approaching it like a real conversation where mm-hmm. okay you don't even have to look at a piece of paper maybe you have a little bit of an outline so you want to make sure you stay on 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 course but you know just actually listening and having conversation if you can put that in your head when you're interviewing people it can it can do amazing things again like you said for your audience who's there listening on the other end let me actually give you one actual tactical thing because I know your audience really likes actual actionable things, and you do a really good job <laughs> providing that in all your episodes. Um, you know, you mentioned the piece of paper, and all this is something that I use all the time. I call it a conversational map, right? So let's say that we're in the middle of something, and so especially when I had people, you know, when I had to start transitioning out of people who are bloggers, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to ask you how you got started with blogging. I have to actually come up with questions that are relevant to your background. Um, so what I would do is while they were giving an answer. I would draw an arrow and I would write my next question and then I would just go back to listening. Um, and this, again, it's one of those mm. things that takes some balance, but it, it's funny because effectively what you're doing is you're creating a map of the conversation, um, and, but you're drawing it as you go so it creates this natural flow. So that might be something that's actually helpful for your listeners. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Do you prep a lot for your presentations? Like if you're going <laughs> to interview somebody, do you? how much prep work do you do? Very minimal. Um, it, you know, so part of the reason I don't do a lot of prep work is that I feel too much research kills curiosity and creativity. Thank uh, you. It just, I'm not somebody who, like, because the thing is, I'm, I have certain, here's the thing. I want to know the things that nobody has ever asked them about before. Like, I want to talk to them about the things I'm just morbidly curious about. And the problem is that we lose the opportunity to have those really genuine, really juicy conversations when we do too much research because research causes too much planning and then you know the whole conversation sounds scripted like you know i'll give you an example we had simon sinek on our show recently and it was funny because i was having you know guest with a uh, a blogcast fm listener and she said you know it's funny because she said at the beginning of the interview it was the typical simon sinek um it literally was one of his speeches and she said i loved how when you got him to a certain point you wouldn't let him off the hook and you made him talk about things that he wouldn't talk about elsewhere because he didn't. And, and you know, I think that's that's a common thread between any Blogcast FM guest is that they share things that they don't share elsewhere. But part of that is because I don't do a lot of research. And I think it leads to really interesting conversations. Absolutely. I, I have to 100% back you up on that. I don't do much research when I interview people as well because I want, you know, I feel like when I don't do the research, I'm exactly in the same place as my audience. And I can ask the same exact questions that's, that are on their mind when they're listening to yeah, I've never even thought about it that way. That's a really good point. Sweet. So let's move on. Let's talk about this conference you have coming up because lately on 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 Instagram and on Facebook, I've been seeing these amazing drawings come up and each <laughs> drawing sort of reveals another person that, who's going to be speaking at this event. A, where did the idea for this event come from? B, sure. how the heck are you putting it all together? So funny you ask about the putting it together part. Um, we're literally in L.A. right now. And the reason I'm doing this interview from a co-working space is because we've been at venues all morning, um, you know, looking at we have we're going to another venue this afternoon. So let's talk about the, the where did it come from part. So, you know, one of the things that I kept seeing <clears throat> over and over, like, you know, went to a lot of conferences and, and the more I went to them, the less I liked them. Like something about them just did, I didn't walk away feeling like, wow, that was 
really amazing. Um, that dazzled me. Like it took my breath away. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, you know, at moments it felt like that, but I was like, you know, why is the whole experience like that? Like, why is it that we're sitting under fluorescent lights in hotel rooms? We're supposed to be the nonconformists and the unconventional people. And we're not actually doing anything unconventional. So well said. This is pretty standard. Um, so I wanted to break all those rules and all those conventions. Um, but I mean, obviously with 400 interviews, you start to get perspectives on things. Um, you know, one, I, I, and the other thing I wanted is I wanted an event where it wasn't, you know, the same people. Uh, I was sick of going to events where it was all the same speakers. And, you know, I was like, there's some amazing voices out there. We need to celebrate these voices. We need to really put them on, you know, let's put the light on them. Let's put them center stage and let's show the world that, you know what, these people matter. You know, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, David and Goliath, and he talks about, you know, I think it was the Impressionists. And, you know, the big thing in, in I think, the 17 or 1800s was that the salon was the place to actually hang your art. And if you got accepted there, then you became famous. But what these guys did was they said, you know what, screw it. We're going to do our own private gallery opening. And, of course, those people went on. I mean, they're like, I think people in, in that group include Monet, Monet, and, and some other ones. So, so you know, really... Um, the idea was also to look at the structure um, and, and sort of the format and say, you know, why are we just sitting in a room all day passively consuming information? I was like, you know, the whole point of being here is to create something interactive and engaging. Uh, so, you know, I, I interviewed this guy named Eric Wall sometime uh, in the summer, and he is really interesting because he's a graffiti artist, but he wrote a best-selling business book. And I mean, you should have him on your show, Pat. I think your listeners would love him. He's he's really inspiring. And you know, the thing is, he had I'd asked him about his speaking, and he'd gotten over a thousand standing ovations. And wow. he told me his work is about you know taking extreme mashups from various art forms and combining them together to create epic audience experiences. So what he does is he gets on stage and he you know he has rock music playing, he's painting on a canvas, and then in between. Um, the paintings, he actually gives his speech, which is amazing. That is awesome. So, you know, and, and the thing is that, you know, there's no rule. Like, that goes against every best practice for speaking. Like, there's no rules for this. And then that's that's the thing. It's like, here's a blank canvas, make art. Mm -hmm. And so that's really one of the big driving forces behind this was let's do something so different, so unique, and so unusual that when people walk away, they say, oh, my God, we've never experienced something like that. That is the most unreal, mind-blowing, life-changing experience we've ever had. And so we're taking extreme mashups from different art forms. Like, you know, the way we're opening the event is is like a movie, not like a, a conference. Like, we actually have a movie trailer that we're working on specifically to open to be the opening sequence of the event. I mean, so we're approaching it more like a theatrical performance with business content underlaid, laid underneath it. I guess you could call it like the Cirque du Soleil of business conferences is the way I would describe it. <laughs> I love I love this because you know it's sort of like okay you you've get, you've been to conferences and you and I have you know connected on many times at these different conferences and you just felt like there was a need for something different or you, you weren't being fulfilled at these conferences so what did you do you you were just creating one of your own mm -hmm. and I love yeah. that you're you're creating the conference of your dreams basically I exactly I wanted to create the conference that I wanted to go to and and you know I mean even the way I chose my speakers so conventional wisdom might say well Srini's interviewed four hundred people a lot of them are really big names with big email lists. Um, who could, you know, they'll draw a crowd. And I said, you know, I'm like, yeah, maybe, but that's not my signature. Like anybody could do that. That's been done. How about doing something? I mean, if you look at the, the common thread between our guests, there's only one. And that's the fact that 
they're connected to me. Like I wanted it to have my signature on it. So, you know, it was basically what I call unmistakable. It was like the only person that could have put this group of people in the same room as Srini. And the truth is the other part that makes this really amazing is nobody's ever put this group of people into the same room. I jokingly call them the Ocean's Eleven of the web, even though there's only nine of them. (laughs) Nice. That's so cool. Now, let's talk about you actually planning this thing. What does it take to put on an event like this really quick? Well, so you, 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 I mean, you've seen my Facebook comments and I've joked many times on the Wildcast FM podcast that it's a bit like planning a wedding and starting a religion at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I mean, the, the amount, so here's another thing you have to think about. One of the things I think a lot of events don't think about is they, they think it's just about gathering a bunch of cool speakers and putting them in a room and, and, you know, selling tickets. You know, Greg Hartle has worked very closely with me on this. One of the questions he asked me right at the beginning, he said, what is the transformation that you want people to experience from being here. And that drove every decision from that point forward. That's cool. Um, Because, you know, the thing is that a conference should not be about the speakers. It's about the attendees. And, you know, everything we're doing is very attendee-focused. I mean, we didn't just go to our speakers and say, we want you, you get to pick what, you know, you're going to talk about. We actually picked, so what we did, you know, the premise of the instigator experience is to bring a bold idea to life. I mean, we've sat down in agonizing detail, planning from, you know, literally the moment people walk through the door to the moment they walk out. Every transition between speakers, like how are we doing the transitions, set changes, everything. Um, it's it's a production. It really is. And, you know, and, and it, part of it is to design this transformation because so many things happen on a subconscious level that actually matter. And so few people think about these details. Uh, so, so that's a big part of it. It is really, really being clear on what is the outcome for the speed for the attendee. When, and in our case, it's bring a bold idea to life. And the other thing is that we wanted people to start working on their ideas while they're there because too often people go home inspired and then they go back to their life and yep. never do anything. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we're not going to let that happen. We're also putting in an application process um, specifically to ensure that we get a very, very diverse cross-section of people because the more diverse the perspectives are in the room, the more everybody will grow. You know, Robert Greene uh, wrote the book Mastery. When I interviewed him, he he gave me this beautiful analogy about consumption. And he says, you know, uh, we the analogy is by diversity. He said the richer uh, the more species there are in an ecosystem, the richer the ecosystem is. So really, by by you know having an application process and ensuring a diverse group of people, we're going to create a very rich ecosystem. So as a byproduct, everybody flourishes. That's really uh, cool. And what and I like about course, the uh, sorry, what I love about the application process too, and I you know I see this in, in when people you know sell courses and things like that. That you know when people apply for something, they are you know almost committing to it. And 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 mm-hmm. what that happens is when when they are approved, if they are, they're going to be much more gung ho about you know getting the most out of that experience. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's another thing, right? Is that you want people who are serious. Um, we don't want you know, I mean, we don't want people who are just going to go there and be like, okay, that was amazing, cool. And here's the other thing: we're not allowing laptops or smartphones in the room. Um, we're not, you know, because this is, you know, one of the big taglines is this is not your typical business conference. Like, I'm like, I'm not interested in you marketing my event while you're there. I could care less about that. I'm interested in seeing you have such a radical transformation that next year I don't have to sell anything because, you know, you've you've had such a change in your life that people are lined up to be part of it again. Um, so, I mean, and the thing is, even when it comes to venue selection, Pat, like we were looking, you know, we're like, we were at this place this morning and it's not like, we're not looking at con, like we basically said nothing that resembles a conference center, like our event planners, like you guys are insane. <laughs> uh, I said, it can't resemble a con- like no hotel rooms, 
no convention centers, no conference rooms, nothing that resembles anything. And we were actually just at a place this morning um, where movies have been filmed. Like it's a studio lot um, that we can do. And because the thing is, we we're creating an environment that we'll be able. We're going to manipulate the environment multiple times. There'll be set changes, like multiple times throughout the event. It'll seem like you're in a different space, even though you're you're in one the whole time. That's awesome. That's so cool. Where can we get more information about uh, the Instigator experience? So um, I think by the time your listeners are listening to this, our sales page will be up um, and uh, it'll be at the instigatorexperience.com. We're only selling 60 tickets. So, uh, you know, get it, apply as quickly as possible. We're going to approve applications in the order in which they're received. So nice. Uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if by the time people hear this and they go there, it's already sold out. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would. That would be a high quality problem to have. <laughs> Absolutely. Now let's let's move on to some of your books, Srini, because mm-hmm. you've been publishing uh, some books, and some of them have been doing really, really well. I'm on your Amazon uh, Prime, or I'm not Amazon Prime. I'm on your Amazon page right now for your author page, and I see five books. Mm-hmm. The first one, what, t- t- give us the journey of, of of these books and sort of where they've taken you. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I got to the point where I realized, ironically, even though I'd interviewed all these people who were getting book deals, I, it didn't seem like, you know, there was a publisher knocking on my door. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done waiting. I'm like, I can't, you know, I have something to say, so I'm going to put it out in the world. But, I mean, the first book we did was called Blog to Book Deal. It was just a trend, you know, repurposing of our interviews. You know, we like somebody had said, hey, you guys have all these interviews, you just make them Kindle books. And we, you know, our eyes were like, oh, look, there's the gold mine. We're going to mm-hmm. make thousands of dollars. That was, I think, a, a wrong intent. The part of it, the intention was flawed there because it wasn't about providing anything that was useful. It was all about us making money. Like that was the only thing we cared about. Um, so that book flopped. I mean, it just it didn't do well. I mean, the best thing to come from it was James Altucher found it and he became a friend of mine. And that to me was the price. That was the most valuable thing to come out of that. But I mean, I learned a lot of things. And so the next book was called The Small Army Strategy. And you know, Mark Schaefer had pointed out that hey. Um, you know, he'd, he'd, I'd been blogging at his blog for about a year and he said I'd been riffing on a theme the whole year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, I bet there's a lot of common threads between all those posts. So I did that and, and so I assembled it. I asked him if I could have the content and he was totally cool about it, even though he paid me to write for him. He said, yeah, he's like, I think it'll be good for you. And of course, you know, I didn't just, you know, slap it all together and, and throw it up on Amazon. I mean, there's a lot of massaging and editing. And of course, I added new sections. And while I was adding new sections, what I was doing was I was sharing these snippets on Facebook and the snippets went from like being three sentences to paragraphs to eventually like thousand word daily updates. Um, wow. So, 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 you know, what ended up happening is, so the small army strategy, what was cool about giving so much of that book away for free on Facebook was when the day came for, for the launch. Um, and I made it free for the first five days. I emailed like, you know, all the people who had been following me on Facebook, the ones who were commenting and all the, the snippets. I said, Hey, um, I just wanted to send you a free copy. So I sent out like 20 or 25 free copies. And I said, if you like it, um, you know, I sent it out before the book came out. I said, if you like it, review it. And the thing is, it really struck a chord, which was cool. And so I got 25 star reviews on the first day. That book, pro- that book probably had a thousand copies. I'm sure it's surpassed a thousand copies. It has something like 88 five star reviews on Amazon. Um, it, it's funny, right? Cause it's all self-published. Like I've seen traditionally published books that don't reach this level of success, but yeah. where it got interesting, I think with the journey of the books is the next one where I decided to become very, very transparent. Like, you know, I, I, 
for so long, I think I've been playing this game in my comfort zone or, you know, with one foot outside my comfort zone and the other one still back there on the off chance that, hey, you know, maybe this whole thing will fall apart and I might have to go get a normal job. Mm -hmm. After a while, I realized that the ship had sailed for me to ever have a normal job because, I mean, it's been four years. I was like, it's pretty clear I'm committed to this path. I think it's time I stopped playing it safe and took some real risks. Um, And for me, that risk was true, honest, raw, vulnerable transparency um, in which I showcased all my flaws. I talked about it, the fact that I'd been fired from every job. I talked about the fact that I was 35 and lived at home. I, it was the most honest writing I'd ever done. Um, and in that process, I found my voice and I was doing it via Facebook through these public status updates. Uh, and after a while, I was just getting a following on Facebook. And of course, I knew that you know I wasn't going to forever you know, just write endlessly cool updates. Like I had a, I had an end in mind. I was like, I just wasn't sure what that end was. I was like, I knew someday, I mean, I, on my 34th birthday, I think was the one, or 35th, sorry, sometimes you forget. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, after 30, uh, it doesn't really. Yeah, so I, I wrote this um, post titled The Observations of a Life That Hasn't Gone According to Plan. And, you know, it was really, really open. Uh, and that ended up sort of, you know, setting me loose. And from that point forward, it was just like, wow, this guy is really transparent. But something happened. I mean, my writing changed, my voice changed. Uh, and, and of course, you know, I also got into the habit of a thousand words a day, no matter what, because I was, you know, having to do so much writing for a freelance gig for a startup I'm working on with Greg Cardle and even my own writing. And I was like, okay, the only way I'm going to produce this much, you know, volume on a consistent basis that I actually have to like commit to is just by writing a thousand words a day. And that fundamentally changed my writing. Um, now like I can't not do it. It's a habit. Um, so, you know, what ended up happening, of course, is a lot of those essays uh, in the midst of this, you know, because I did it all on Facebook, a woman named Carolyn Masseri, who is the editor of all my books, found me and she offered to, to help me with the editing and really shape the arc and narrative of these books. So, you know, we did this this most recent book, The Art of Being Unmistakable, which is, uh, you know, The Art of Being Unmistakable, a collection of essays about making a dent to the universe. And largely, I mean, it's a combination of, of sort of self-help, my creative process, my views on how the, you know, why we have to be artists on the web as opposed to just entrepreneurs, which I, I really wanted. That's the perspective I'd really love to talk to you about in more detail. And, and so, you know, that book, um, I think the week it came out, it sold 360 copies. And uh, I was, you know, I was stoked. I was like, okay, cool. This is, you know, it's not a thousand copies yet, but, uh, you know, I thought a thousand copies is the goal. And right. then, uh, you know, one afternoon I was, you know, looking on it just to see the most recent reviews and either one of my friends had written and I saw it was number one in entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, cool. So I tweeted about it and some guy replied back saying, hey, you might want to thank Glenn Beck. And he, he raved about your book on a show. I was like, okay. I'm like, I'd heard of Glenn Beck at this time. Keep in mind, like, I don't watch the news, man. I have the, the pop culture taste of a teenage girl. Like the, CWT, <laughs> the CWTV is, is my favorite, you know, source of television. Um, so, so I was like, and so I replied back. I'm like, well, Glenn Beck, huh? I'm like, he's kind of a big deal, isn't he? And uh, so, you know, of course, I go on to find out that he's this very like polarizing figure. Uh, when I share it on Twitter, you know, some people are on, on Facebook, and it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of a double edged sword. Um, you know, having Glenn Beck t- tout your books, but then, so, you know, uh, I, I went and looked, and the numbers were skyrocketing in Amazon. So, you know, I, I asked James, you know, I ousted James Altucher from the number one spot in the entrepreneurship category, and I saw that the units. You know, my friend Angela said, I, "I think you're not realizing the magnitude of this." She said, "Go look at your Amazon dashboard and see how many books you've sold." And I was like, "Oh my God!" I'm like, "We sold a thousand copies in one day." Um, nice. You know, and I'd set a goal a year ago to sell a thousand copies of a book. I had no idea how it was going to happen, and I was a thousand like, "Thousand okay. copies in a day." 
yeah, it was it was pretty it was, it was pretty surreal. And so, I mean, but here's the thing, right? Is that like I set that goal, but here's here's what I would say is I think that outcomes are very arbitrary, and I think that outcome based goals are actually dangerous. The you know the truth is that the only part of that I controlled was writing a thousand words a day and and shipping. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't, I couldn't say that. Hey, you know, I want to. Like I couldn't say, okay, I have to hit a thousand copies. Yeah, I might have been able to manufacture it with some nonsense, but authentically sell a thousand copies. That's largely out of my control. And this is something that I'm learning more and more is that so many of our goals are outcome based, and the problem with that is that we don't control outcomes, but behavior is something we control. So in a lot of ways, we can kind of say, okay, set the goals and just throw them away. And we should think more, a lot more, spend a lot more time concerning ourselves with the behavior required to reach those goals than the actual goals themselves. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, you know, Glenn Beck found it. Uh, I emailed Glenn Beck and said, Hey man, I'm the one who wrote that book. Uh, thank you. You know, so regardless of, of, you know, what your politics are at this point, especially because I'm not political. I mean, my knowledge of politics goes to about, you know, all I know is like who our current president is beyond that. I could care less. Uh, so, you know, I emailed him and I said, thank you. I mean, I was like, you know what? Here's a guy who's given me a very, very important moment. I was like, this guy just turned my book into a bestseller. So how can you not be grateful for that regardless of what his story is? So I got an email from the producers of the show the next day. And they said, hey, Srini, uh, Glenn, you know, Glenn wants to have you come into the studio and be on the show. Would you be interested? I was like, That's yeah, great. sure. Why not? Um you know, and, and this is so this is actually something worth mentioning, you know, knowing, you know, like at this point, my knowledge of Glenn Beck was starting to increase because I was seeing how people were responding on Facebook. Like, you know, I was like, hey, this guy's a total, you know, blowhard Republican, like all this kind of stuff, you know, um, I mean, because the thing is, you know, we all have opinions about celebrities and stuff. So I did a few Google searches and I made a very deliberate decision that I was going to not do any research. See, I see the theme again, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because what I found was actually pretty disturbing. And I thought, you know, I need to go in and I need to have a really genuine conversation with him. So I need to see him as a person, not a persona. Because what you don't realize is, unlike you and me, Pat, when somebody like Glenn speaks into a microphone, it has an echo. And his echo is much crazier than ours because 30 million people hear it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of us say things that piss people off. But you know what? 30 million people don't hear everything we have to say. And it's like a game of telephone. So what happens is that echo gets mangled like he actually said somebody took something he said on air out of context and said he's an advocate of child abuse you know it was like so you kind of realize that okay the media creates this mask and it creates a persona uh so i made a very deliberate decision and so i got to actually get to know glenn as a person and the truth is that pat you know despite the fact that he's glenn beck what he does is not very different than what you or i do he's a media creator and a media producer who's trying to get a message out to the world it's just in a very different context Mm -hmm. and you know what there's a lot to learn from that he's been very successful you can't argue with you know what he's learned i mean and and the truth is that you know it's interesting the most fascinating part of that day was when i sat on you know his office with him you know he sat on one couch i sat on the other and he talked to me about life he talked to me about success he talked to me about all the things he'd done wrong in his life all the places he had failed you know the funniest story i think he told me is that michael buble is a friend of his and um you know he said that buble was somewhere and mentioned that he and he and glenn beck were friends and somebody punched michael buble in the face he got into a fist fight over the fact that he's friends with glenn beck wow. so but you know when he, when he started talking about all these people it's like wait a minute these are all like our heroes and role models you know people we all look up to are friends of glenn beck you know, because then you realize, okay, well, you know, the media creates a mask and, you know, it creates a persona. So we can't always trust what we're seeing. Um, and you know what? It, like I said, at the end of the day, this guy gave me a career defining moment. I mean, the book has gone on to sell 10,000 copies. I think it sold 10,000 copies that week, actually. 
That's so uh, awesome. I'm looking at the it, page right now. Um, you know, all, mostly five star reviews. I'm looking at the uh, number one in entrepreneurship, number one in creativity, number two in books for entrepreneurship. Not just Kindle books, but all books. Mm-hmm. Amazing, yeah. man! Congrats. Thanks, thanks. I mean, it got as high as number seven in the entire Kindle store. Um, on, you know, the day that I was on the show, and. You know, I, and so here's here's one thing you think about. You know, you said mostly five star reviews, but if you look at the one star reviews, they're pretty brutal. But you know, one of my friends said if you didn't get any one star reviews, you didn't say very, anything very bold. You know, Justine Musk says that if you have you know a strong bold point of view, which is the most compelling kind, you're going to piss some people off. Yeah. Um, and and I definitely did. But you know, I mean, the, the cool thing, Pat, I would say has been the amount of emails I've received about how many people have found that book to be life changing, like, you know, and saying, hey, this is something I, I don't know what your words just spoke to me. Um, and, and, you know, like there are people who are like, oh, I'm going to buy 10 copies for my kids. This should be required reading for every college graduate. That's so cool, it's, man. That's that's really probably the most rewarding thing, and and I you know I would say to that is that you can't manufacture that. You know, Kamal Ravikant is a friend of mine and one of the speakers at the Instigator Experience. He said that you know what he's like if you want people to share something, create something that connects with them. And you know, I mean, part of why I think people listen to you, Pat, is that you know, despite your success, we see a very human side of you. Like you talk, you talk about your family, you talk about your kids. You know, we 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 actually see you know. Like, and also, there's no gap between who you are online and who you are in person. And I think that that far too often I've seen that with a lot of people. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you know, I always try to be real in every aspect of my life, where I'm at, and what I'm doing. Um, and that's obviously coming from you too. So, I mean, I mean, it's crazy how this all started with just being honest and completely transparent on Facebook, and then it turned mm-hmm. to this book, and then just got found. And and like you said, you can't manufacture that. You can't force that to happen. It just sort of does happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say one thing. I mean, it's worth noting the thousand words a day. I mean, like that's so much of this is about like, let's say that I had just written the book and tried to put it out on Amazon and Glenn Beck found it. I think part of what made it resonate was that I've spent a lot of time like working on the craft element of this, you know, and I, I feel like this is overlooked by so many of us. I mean, even when we we're talking about interviews earlier, like you have to approach all of this as a craft and, and really you have to view yourself as an artist um, who is constantly refining your craft and, and really working on, you know, how do I get better at what I do? Like, how do I outdo what I just did? Like every interview I try to think, you know, I mean, what keeps me up at night is how do you find more Meg Wardens? How do you find more AJ Leons? You know, like I'm not interested in finding the next social media celebrity. I'm like, how do I find a story that touches people's hearts? Because, you know, if you saw the recent Steve Jobs movie, you know, at the very beginning, Ashton Kutcher's on the stage saying, he's like, you know, this is the cool thing about the iPod is it's a tool for your heart. And when you can touch somebody's heart, that's limitless. And I love that. That was yeah. so inspiring to me. The movie sucks, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, you had mentioned, you know, becoming an artist. And I've sort mm-hmm. of seen this in you, Srini, over the last few years and watching you progress and where you come to now. I mean, your work is, is art now, it seems. Before you were doing interviews and getting people who were doing blogs, and it was very entrepreneurial. And now you seem to be sort of an artist. What would you want to say? You said you mentioned you wanted to, to just touch on that a little bit before yeah, we closed I mean, up here. I think that here's here's the thing, you know, Pat, is that the world is like way noisier than it was when you and I started doing all of this, right? Like we started in you, I think you started in two thousand eight, I started in two thousand nine. And, you know, what stands out is people who are unique, people who have, you know, sort of an artistic signature. The problem is that we follow so many best practices. I mean, and you know what? People like you and me are, are responsible to that for that to some degree right. because we provide all this information. But, you know, I, I've said this over and over again. It's like don't just take the information we're giving you and try to follow it to the letters. Like put your own spin on it. Ad, adapt, you know, because here's the thing, right, is that. When you when you approach this like an artist, you'll bring something to it that nobody else could create. Like 
you know, I mean, even when we talk about the instigator experience, nobody else could conceive of the like just pure neuroticism that is going into this event. Like, I mean, uh, if you saw my last Facebook status update, I said, hey, does anybody know where I can get a, a school bus that doesn't work? I saw that. I was like, what? I was like, I want a school, saw a school bus and have to set up, you know, part of the environment for one of the workshops that we have. Like, I want to gut the school bus and make it one of the, the, the elements of the environment. But nobody else would come up with that, right? Because you know what? Like, I could say, okay, <clears throat> let's do the standard things. And I think being an artist, <coughs> oh, excuse me, is about looking at standards and asking yourself, how do I not only defy those standards, but you know, Seth Godin talks about this idea of overwhelming people with joy. Like I want people's senses to be delighted by everything I do and every element of everything I do. Like I'll give you another example. I was at the, the post office yesterday and we, you know, we've made posters. Like we started doing physical goods. See, and this is something that, that might be interesting to your listeners. Most of them probably have never thought, you know, oh, why not do a physical product that is like an artifact or a piece of work? You know, I had this um, blog post titled 15 Principles for Living a Creative Life. And one of my listeners said, Shreen, this is beautiful. You should turn it into a poster. So I emailed my friend Sarah Steenland, who's an amazing illustrator. I said, what do you think? She said, OK, cool. I'll get back to you with it. She sketched it out. We ordered a copy on Zazzle to see what it would look like. And now we have a poster for sale. So, but you know, when I went into the post office, these poster tubes were in there, and I was like, "Wow!" It's like these things are hideous. I'm like, why are we mailing them these? And like, the tape looks screwy. I'm like, you know, I'm like, this whole process should be beautiful. I'm like, I want it to be like the unboxing of an Apple product. So, like I said, you, you, the real thing here is that what I would say is we we become victims of these best practices, and I think that we have to basically approach all of this as if we're working with a blank canvas and say, "Okay, you know what? I've got all these tools." But why don't I combine things in a way that only I could or a way that nobody else does, you know, like take different, you know, I, I mean, I think I'm very blessed in that I've gotten so many different perspectives on all of this. You know, I have people like you who really get, you know, sort of how to really actually, you know, operationally make something work in a way that very few people do. Um, and then I get an Eric Wall, who's a graffiti artist, right, who gives me a very different perspective than you. And to me... I think what my work has become about is combining all of those things, um, it, it, to, combining all of these ingredients to make dishes that only I could make. And that's, I think, really is, I think to me, that's where your ability to tap into, you know, your own ability to be unmistakable lies. Dude, I don't, I mean, that was awesome. I, I, I can't think of anything else to say beyond that. I mean, that's a perfect way to close up. So, Srini, thank you so much for all that, all the inspiration. Congratulations on all of your success. I wish you the best of luck with the Instigator experience. I know I'm going to be hearing a lot about it, um, you know, once it's over. And, you know, hopefully we can have a chance, if it's not sold out already, by the time people uh, check this out, um, to to come back and do it again next year if it's something you choose to do again. Yeah, so, yeah Dude, where, where uh, should we go to get more okay, information so from you? Yeah, so as you mentioned, for the event, the instigatorexperience.com will be all, you know, all the information for that will be there. Um, Blogcast FM, you can find in iTunes. Um, I mean, if you look in the What's Hot section for management and marketing, I think you and I are always there in that, like, you know, top panel. Mm -hmm. So you can either subscribe to us in iTunes or visit us at blogcastfm.com. Awesome. And just as a, you know, you, we had mentioned this before, actually, for, for those of you listening, this is the second time we've recorded this because the first time the quality of the audio wasn't good and Serini and I are both sort of just, 
we got we to gotta put the best quality stuff out there. Exactly. Um, so we, we were happy to do this again. And I think it went, I mean, not to Actually, say that. I think it was a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounded that, more eloquent as far as I'm concerned. It, it did. And, and, and that's not to say the first time um, was terrible. But I mean, I think it, 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 you know, we talked about a lot of the same things, but it went really, really well. And I think also um, that I just, you know, just as far as what we did there, I mean, we want to always demonstrate, you know, we always want to provide the best for our audience. Uh, we weren't going to compromise audio quality. And, you know, what actually was happening was uh, one of our sounds was just going out every like minute and it was just really annoying. So um, thank you again for coming on and, and, and agreeing to do this again with me. Um, congratulations on all of your success, Srini. And, um, you know, you, you had mentioned the, the, the last time, and I want to make sure we do this in case people listen to this in the future. There's going to be a little bit of a rebranding with Blogcast FM. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're we're changing the name of the show. And as, as I told you, I can't tell you just yet because it's still in process. It'll be done by January. But we just realized, you know, the truth is that our show is not about blogging. It's about being creative. Um, it, it touches so many elements of life and creativity and art and business. Um, you know, we're really a show designed for creative entrepreneurs. The thing is that we've outgrown the brand Blogcast FM. And you really, you want a brand that you can grow into and do other things with. So that's, that's around the corner. So keep an eye out for that uh, you know, changing the name of a show on iTunes is something that I'm not looking forward to personally, but um, <laughs> mainly because, you know, Apple is the Bermuda Triangle of information. Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's coming. It's right around the corner. Cool, man. Well, we'll all look forward to that. I'll make sure to change any sort of links or anything in the show notes when that does happen because I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, and we'll have redirects set up for all of that. So okay, that's, sweet. So it should all work fine. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on and spending time with me today and time with the SPI audience. I know we all appreciate you and everything you're doing. All the best of luck, and we'll talk to you uh, at a later time. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for having me, Pat. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Srini from Blogcast FM. You can look up Blogcast FM in iTunes and subscribe to his show, or also go to blogcastfm.com to see what else he's got going on there. A lot of great things, inspiring things. Just got, you know, I've been been following Srini for a very long time. Just to see his transformation is incredible. Um, So I'm really, really happy for him. And I hope you are inspired by the work he's doing and how creative he's been and how he's putting art into his entrepreneurship. And I feel like a lot of us can benefit from doing the same thing and being creative with the work that we do to serve our audiences. So if you'd like to get the show notes for this episode, there's a lot of resources that Srini mentioned, a lot of um, links to previous episodes and and, and resources and things like that. You can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session. 88. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 88. You can get all that good stuff there. If you haven't checked out the site in a while, you might want to visit because it's brand new. It, it was redesigned uh, a week ago and we are still making changes to it, uh, my developer and I. And, um, you know, we're constantly testing and, and using heat maps to see what's working and what's not. And there will be a very detailed post coming up soon, if not already on the blog, about the design changes and why things are the way they are and what's working, what's not, what didn't work before and why we made certain changes and all that good stuff. Stay tuned for the next episode, session 89, because we're going to have Gary Vaynerchuk on the show. We're going to be talking about his new book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. A lot of things that I'm doing wrong in social media that I can improve on. And just, you know, Gary's a cool guy. Like, first time I spoke to him, I already had the interview done, and um, he's just super cool. A lot of great stuff. He was one of the original people who had inspired me with his book, Crush It!, and I have to say, this book, to me, this book is its a different kind of book, but it blows it out of the water. Anyway, I'll see you in episode 89 with Gary Vaynerchuk. Hope you enjoy that, but I hope you enjoy this show as well. Smartpassiveincome.com slash session 88. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. If you have time to leave a review on iTunes, you are awesome. If not, maybe next time. Thank you so much. Keep pushing forward. Keep making things happen. Love you guys. Thanks. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.